Doc! Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie! I hate snakes, Doc! I hate them! Come on, show a little backbone, will ya? Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And that was Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Today's movie. Yay! And uh, if we learn anything about Indiana Jones early on, it's that he's good with a whip and hates snakes. He hates them. Hates them. Hates them. And what I love about that clip is it's one of the most perfect forms of setting up a character trait that has a payoff a huge payoff later in the film yeah so and we'll get into that about just how beautifully constructed this film is but uh yeah this was one of my picks although that being said it's everyone's pick it's everybody's pick it is truly one of my top 10 films for sure just across the board regardless of era and yes, I just love this movie. It's it's a really good movie. I mean, I know it obviously has had an impact in pop culture and has led to like spinoffs. I mean, the the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, right. uh, a ton of sequels There's and video upcoming games. sequel. Yeah, oh, the uh, Uncharted series is unabashedly based on Indiana Jones. Rips it off. Yeah. Yeah. Heavily based on. Heavily based on. Nathan Nathan Drake is essentially uh, Indiana Jones, only he shoots more people and does not have a whip. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just dive right in because we have a lot to talk about with this movie. If you thought our other episodes were long, (laughs) buckle up. (laughs) So I think of the films that we've covered so far, this one comes in the earliest in the decade. Yeah. So this is 1981. Okay. So it precedes E.T. by a year, and that is relevant because this is the second of the two. Well, that is a little redundant, second of the two. Yeah. It is <laughs> a Steven Spielberg film. We talked about him in our 10th episode with Dan Strange when we covered E.T. Mm-hmm. So like I normally do, we're going to go over some of the major players in this film, both behind the camera and in front of it. And, you know, you you would normally start with Steven Spielberg uh, as the director of this film. But because we did go on about his credits at length in episode 10, if you want Uh, to hear all of that. It's safe to say that I think most people are familiar with. uh... Right. Right. (laughs) And we're going to get to that point where as we do more episodes, you know, we're going to see recurring appearances from certain people, whether it's a director or an actor, what have you. And so I think this is kind of the first time that we've had that circumstance. And so uh, what if this is someone's first time listening to the podcast? Then I would recommend they listen to episode 10. Nice. That's a good good recommendation. (laughs) And get all that backlog on Spielberg. But uh, as far as the individuals behind the writing of this film and the story of and the screenplay. So we have three gentlemen. So I'm going to start with the two that are largely responsible for the story, for the concept of it. Okay. One of them, you might be familiar Mm -hmm. with him. He's a gentleman by the name of George Lucas. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, Yeah, I think he, he... in one way, like created my childhood, and then later in life, like <laughs> did it. his best to destroy it. 
<laughs> but it's all good. It's good now. It's all good. It's fine. So, okay, look. Everybody knows who George Lucas is. Uh, he is the creator behind Star Wars, this juggernaut, probably the biggest franchise of any franchise in cinematic history. Yeah, probably. That's who he is. Uh, and he's known largely as you know a director, producer, but he... He created the story of Star Wars, and he has several other story credits. Yeah. So I'm going to focus on that. Um, I mean, if you go to his IMDb, it's it's kind of funny because he has a hundred currently 164 writing credits. You're like, wow, that's pretty pretty amazing. But the overwhelming majority of them are related to Star Wars because once you are the creator of a story and the characters in it, you are just going to automatically be credited for anything that comes afterwards because you are responsible so for the initial the, concept. Uh, animated series Correct. and okay. Yeah. So most of those credits do belong to Star Wars, but you know, he is the creator behind, you know, he did this as his student film, and then it went on to be his very first feature, THX 1138. Yep. And anyone who uh, went to the movie theaters, you know, I guess it would have been several years ago, a long time ago, you'd see that intro with the THX. And you still do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still? Well, I think there's so. so many varieties of that now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of ways for a theater to tell you you're about to get, like, your mind is about to get melted from the sound yeah. and audio. But I think I think it's still something that's put ahead okay. of, I, I don't know. He's also the guy behind American Graffiti. Oh, yeah. Which also starred, or, well, Harrison I should Ford, say right? starred because it's featured. a huge, yeah, featured. It's a huge ensemble cast. But yes, um, that was pretty certain Harrison Ford's first uh, run in a Lucasfilm. I'm positive the only reason I ever watched any portion of American Graffiti was because I knew that Han Solo was in it. And then as I watched it, I realized, nah, this isn't for me right now. There's a lot of, I mean, so many actors yeah. in that film. So it's, it is it is a good film. I mean, it, it, you're giving me a look. All right, we'll move on. No. <laughs> so <laughs> he also has story credits for the other two Indiana Jones films that are from the 80s. Okay. So Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. Mm -hmm. And then a he film. He loves prequels, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Because Temple he? of Doom is a prequel. Yeah. 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 I love this film. I'm sure we will cover it at some point. He is the story guy behind Willow. Oh, yeah. that yeah. That's definitely going to be a great on the podcast. Film. Yeah. Yeah. So the other gentleman who has a story by credit is someone by the name of Philip Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And he has some interesting uh, credits. He kind of, he has interesting range. I mean, first of all, he also, because he has this story by credit for Indiana Jones, he has a ton of other indie credits for everything that's come okay. since Raiders. So, so just putting that out there immediately. But also, he was the guy behind the outlaw Josie Wales. I really, really enjoy that uh, Clint Eastwood movie based on the uh, novel Gone to Texas. Oh, yeah, deep cut. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. He also is behind, and this is really opposite end of the spectrum, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. I Yeah, that title sounds familiar, but mm -hmm. it also sounds like a title that would instantly make me just decide to not watch. But <laughs> It's a good film. I'm sure. But yeah. a very different kind of film. And then Henry and June. So those are some of, some of his credits. All right. Now, 
moving on to the gentleman who was largely responsible for actually like creating the script yeah. for for this film. Another individual that you may have heard of, his name is Lawrence Kasdan. I haven't. You haven't? No. <laughs> well, you should, because this is the gentleman behind such films as The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, dang. Oh, dang, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> as well as Return of the Jedi. All right. Yeah, those are both pretty pretty great movies. Did he write in the Ewoks? Oh, that's a great question. Gosh, I wish I knew that. <laughs> I don't know that for sure. Uh, and as well as Solo, a Star Wars story. A, I don't want to say criminally underrated because you, in fact, will not go to jail for underrating it. <laughs> but it's a pretty significantly overlooked Star Wars movie. Like the, they had the Rogue One, which was a great movie. And Solo, for whatever reason, like... I don't know, marketing, people didn't like the idea of someone who wasn't Harrison Ford being Han Solo. Yeah. But it's a really good movie and like was going to set up a really fun sequel. Mm -hmm. Alas. Alas. Yeah. It was, not, it was not meant to be. Right. He also, I mean, he's also got some range. I mean, some of his other credits, Body Heat. Okay. It's... It's a different no, kind of just, film. It just took me in a direction I was not expecting <laughs> after like Ewoks. Right, exactly. <laughs> May have been partially responsible for Ewoks and also body heat. <laughs> the Big Chill. Okay. And The Bodyguard. He likes things with a range of temperatures and body to be in the title. <laughs> so that, and I mean, that is a small set of examples okay. of what this guy, I mean, he is a very accomplished, very successful screenwriter. So that's Mr. Lawrence Kasdan. Okay. Okay, so moving on, we're going to fly right by Spielberg as director. So cinematography. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Spielberg. I think I think he's gotten enough. He's, he's, he's fine. So this was shot by a gentleman by the name of Douglas Slocum. All right. Slo I should Slocum. I think that's probably more appropriate. So this gentleman, he he has passed, but passed away in 2016 at 103 years old. Wow. Yeah. Good job. So he did good. And he had an amazing resume of films. I mean, again, this is somebody that I really had to just cut down on the number of credits that he has to, otherwise we'd be here all day just talking about him. And we could. So among some of his cinematography credits, The Lion in Winter, the 1969 version of The Italian Job. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar. All right. Mm-hmm. The 1974 version of The Great Gatsby. Which, uh, was that Robert Redford? Correct. Got it. And Mia Farrow, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, it's, they're both fine movies. I'm not a huge fan of the story in the first place, but I mm -hmm. do like kind of always associate that story with Robert Redford. I agreed. I think we saw it in school for in, some reason. Unless Probably. I'm thinking of a meme, in which case I always think of I know DiCaprio. What you're yeah, like cheering. The, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think what I take away from though that story is more about the era and the art deco. Like I love the look yeah. of the films more than maybe the storyline. In any case, sorry, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Don't mean to slam you, but I did. Um, <laughs> but 
Moving on, so he also uh, shot the film Julia. He shot Never Say Never Again. Oh, yeah, the uh, really weird Sean Connery, James Bond film with Kim Basinger? No. You know that better than I do. Daryl Hannah or Kim Basinger, one of those two uh, actors. A blonde. Well, (laughs) I'm not saying that. (laughs) Are you looking it up? Maybe, but let's just keep going. Maybe, let's just keep going. So he also shot the other two indie films from the 80s. So he shot Temple of Doom and he shot Last Crusade. Crusade was actually his final film, his final credit. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he may be retired after this point. But, you know, good on him because I did the math. He shot Last Crusade when he was 76 years old. Nice. So, you know, and actually I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, look, I think all three films are beautiful films. But I don't know, maybe it has something to do with the backdrop of Venice and these certain areas. I mean, it's hard to shoot some of those areas ugly, but that. (laughs) 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 But uh, Last Crusade in particular, I think, is a really beautiful film. Yeah, it is. I mean, Temple of Doom is kind of an outlier for a lot of reasons. Right. But. The, the original Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade have a, kind of a more similar feel to them mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. mind. Um, but they both look amazing. And, yeah. and, and yeah, with advancements in technology and effects, it's no surprise that, mm-hmm. that the Last Crusade, which I have to believe at one point was really intended to be the, the finale of, yes. of this story, mm-hmm. where they're all literally riding off into the sunset. You can't get much more like the end yeah closure yeah than that than that um anyways yeah <laughs> anyways oh okay moving on to the individuals behind the editing of this film cutting the film so unfortunately we're gonna we're gonna fly past this gentleman as well because we've already talked about him actually who is it michael Kahn. so this is going back even further we talked about him in episode three with the Goonies because he edited that film. Okay. So if you want to learn a little bit more about him, first of all, you can just go to IMDb and everything about him is right there. It's what we do. So it is largely what we do. <laughs> or you can go back to our episode three and learn more about him there. Yeah, so, please do that. Instead. Yeah, please please do that. IMDb doesn't need the hits. Yeah, we do. They're fine. Yeah, they're okay. Also... Again, George Lucas, he has an uncredited credit on it. it. So he must have done a little bit on that, too. He's credited as uncredited? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a weird thing because he's like listed, but then in parentheses it says that. So basically he didn't get a credit in the film, but okay. it's, I guess, acknowledged that he did some of the editing. So, okay. Again, it, it kind of breaks my heart that we're going to fly past him, but we went on at length about... The gentleman who scored this film, we John talk Williams. About, we could have a whole other podcast about John Williams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at and this actually, point, I would love to do that. Yeah. That, that would not be a hardship at all. But similar to like E.T., the music that he created for, for the Indiana Jones franchise is just some of like I, I hear that music and I immediately just think adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really incredible what he put together and we do talk about it later on in this episode but uh, it's almost impossible to separate the music from this film they yeah. they just work together so well 
Yeah, I I mean, that's a good point. We we had a lot of different interesting discussions with our special guest, Kamisha, and that was one of the things that we talked about, kind of in contrast to when we had our conversation with Dan about E.T., about maybe what lifted more one aspect of the film up more, you know, how William's score in E.T. really brings a a different kind of emotional impact. His score literally changed the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Whereas here, maybe maybe it's just a little bit more symbiotic. But in any case, if you do want to hear more about John Williams, he also was featured prominently in episode 10 when we talked about E.T. So you could go and uh, check out that episode if you want to hear more. Okay, because I am flying past several individuals that were part of this film because we've already talked about them, I, if you will indulge me. I will. Thank you. Yeah. Wanted to take a moment to acknowledge a group of people that we don't typically talk about uh, with any of our films. I mean, there's so many. It is such a collaborative art form that I do often feel bad because there's so many more people that contribute to a particular film that we just we we cannot cover yeah. everybody. Lay it on me. I wanted to bring up the individuals who cast this film. Oh, because I think in particular, you know, I mean, look, I'm kind of throwing up. Throw, I'm not throwing up. I'm throwing out. I confirmed <laughs> that you're not. throwing out uh kind of a rhetorical here to our audience think about your favorite films and when you think about them like what comes to mind usually it's the actors who are part of it and the people who are involved in the casting of those films often don't get no they get no appreciation yeah we we see these movies and we just assume like yeah of course harrison ford is indiana jones but like People actually had to put together, like, who do we want to be this person? And who, like, how is this all going to work when they're actually together? Maybe this person would be a great indie, but maybe they wouldn't have the same chemistry with whoever we cast as Marion. So, yeah, they don't. I, I think that that probably is a thankless job in many in many ways. Yeah, and they're so important because, you know, again, even though film is so collaborative the average person usually thinks about the actors in it when they give reason for maybe why they love a film so much yeah so i just wanted to take a minute because look i don't think it gets more iconic than harrison ford as indiana jones yeah you know so so we'll talk about the uh, alternative if we hadn't had harrison ford who would sure, we have had? sure we would have magnum pi i personally you know, look, we'll we'll save that for when we actually bring up our conversation with Kamisha. I no shade to Mr. Selleck, but I'll, all I'm going to say is that I am beyond grateful that it was Harrison Ford ultimately. I, who, I don't. I mean, I don't have as strong of feelings. Maybe if I do at all, it's in the other direction. Where like I want to see some of these um, like deep fakes that people are creating. And maybe then we could actually see how it would work yeah. with uh, Tom well, Selleck as. Is uh, to my knowledge. I don't know if um, if like it's readily accessible, but I know that they still have like his audition oh. for and I because I think he um, I think he auditioned I want to say with Sean Young. It was it was um, Sean Young is is Marion. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yes, and so you can at least so another podcast that's great. I I would love it if people 
keep listening to ours, but there's a, there's a there's one that is wonderful. It's called Unspooled, and they do talk about Raiders and they they go on at length about this casting situation. Got so it. that's another great great podcast to listen to for this kind of stuff. But moving on to the actual people involved, uh-huh. so. Uh, you know, kind of sometimes like screenwriters, you have a screenwriting partnership, and sometimes with casting, you have people who work together. And so that's kind of what happened in this situation. We actually have three people who are credited for the casting, but two of them seem to be kind of a partnership. Of them, though, so the first person I'm going to bring up, his name is Mike Fenton. Mike Fenton. Mm-hmm. Okay. This gentleman. 292 casting credits. Think about how many movies he has influenced by his casting choices. You know? I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. I mean, it goes well beyond the over 200 that he individually credited for because there's like this cascading effect absolutely yep so again i had to severely pull back on the number of uh credits that i was going to bring up but we're not going to go through all 219 no but you know what we could do that someday (laughs) i mean once we get through every single 80s movie okay uh so among some of his credits i i wanted to bring this up because i just wanted to show kind of the span of time that Mm -hmm. he was so influential he's one of his earlier credits is the Andy Griffith show. Okay. Okay. Then we jump into American Graffiti. All right. Chinatown. Yeah, it's a good movie. The Godfather Part Two. Yeah. That's uh I've heard of it. Heard of it? Yeah. We were actually watching it last night. It's true. Young Frankenstein. Man, that movie's so good. Frankenstein. <laughs> One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay. E. T. Poltergeist. Blade Runner. A Christmas Story, Footloose, Temple of Doom, The Goonies, all three Back to the Future movies, Last Crusade, and Total Recall. Those are just some of his credits. I think we should probably emphasize the Arnold Schwarzenegger version of Total Recall. Oh, yes. My apologies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, yep. Not that damn remake. Yeah, exactly. So I'm blown away by by the breadth of of influence that this gentleman had over some amazing films that are still very much beloved and and part of like the conversation of movies i mean we could have ended up with danny devito as indiana jones and what would have happened then exactly so a woman who it seemed that fenton worked with quite a bit jane feinberg because she has like she has overlapping credits but she also has kind of some of her own but among some of her credits it's not it's not as extensive as fenton but um some of them include chinatown again godfather 2 young frankenstein cuckoo's nest et blade runner footloose goonies back to the future but she has uh her own for aliens oh nice yeah but again just to show you i mean aliens is another really perfectly cast film yeah it really is it's an amazing group the marines are kind of like the like the typical group where each each one of them is kind of like fits into this stereotype that you would imagine. But they bring but, so much pers- I mean, we're talking about people like Bill Paxton, and, yeah. you know, people who went on to have really amazing careers on their own. And it could have been really easy to just kind of blow past that. And, mm-hmm. and each one of them brings so much to the film, even the ones who unfortunately get killed off pretty early on so sarge. i sarge sarge yeah who was also in superman 3 huh weird huh yeah okay so last individual i want to bring up her name is mary selway and so 
who knows? It could have been for the the number of people that they had to cast, or I don't know the reasons why she also came on board besides these two others. But uh, some of her credits: Victor Victoria, Return of the Jedi, All right. Temple of Doom, Out of Africa, Gorillas in the Mist, Circle of Friends, First Night. So, real quick aside: First Night with um, Richard Gere. Yes. Was Sean Connery? In yes. That? Wow. I got to tell you the reason why I specifically put down. This credit is this is this is like 13-year-old Anna talking right now. There is a kiss in that movie uh-huh. that will knock your socks off. Between Richard Gere and Sean Connery? No. <laughs> that would knock my socks off. I just just say and so it probably gets not a lot of love, but it it uh it's a fun movie. All right. Moving on, Notting Hill. Love actually. And Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. That was a good one. Yeah. Had so, the, uh, the kid from uh, Twilight, the new mm-hmm, Batman, mm-hmm, was mm-hmm, in it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't end well for him. No, it doesn't. Mm. All right. Let's move on to Mr. Harrison Ford. So we're going to start with the people who are in this movie. I love that he's just cast as indie. Yeah. On uh, on IMDb, at least. They just list him as indie. Yeah, I do, too. So, I mean, where do you start with him? Because he, I would say, arguably one of the most beloved actors of our time, has, I mean, it could have just been Indiana Jones alone as, like, this, like, long-lasting franchise, and he would have been just fine. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah. also, we know him as Han Solo. From the Star Wars films. From and... the original trilogy, as well as the sequel mm-hmm. trilogy. Um, we know him as the President of the United States yep. on Air Force One. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, he did a couple Jack Ryan films. He did. He so... was really good in those mm-hmm. in those uh, Tom Clancy films. Yeah, so let me, uh, real quick, I'm going to just go through, well, it's a little more than quick because I have like 20 oh, okay. <laughs> credits for him. But it just shows you. I mean, I wanted to bring up some of the films that are um, not as often brought up in conversation. But I wanted to do that because I think he, you know, look, when you look at films like Star Wars or Indie or, or um, you know, his Jack Ryan role, maybe you um, don't look at those roles as serious you know, not not something that like an est- uh, accomplished actor. They're would. kind of action adventure or, or just straight up action. But he has he certainly has a range that, exactly. that goes well beyond those types yeah. of films. And that's something that actually we bring up with Kamisha in terms of kind of like general perception of certain genres of film and how they're not yeah. taken as seriously or given as much respect as others. But uh, okay, so we already mentioned one of his very first. Uh, films was American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. He actually had a bit part in the conversation. Have you ever seen that? I have not. It's a great. It's a great film. Okay. It's a Coppola film. You should definitely see it. Maybe I'll watch it with you. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, like you said, New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, Rise of Skywalker. Was he wasn't in um, Last Jedi? The no. Last Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, also, we have Apocalypse Now. He had yeah. a small part yeah. in that. Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Is, uh, Detective Deckard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We, so, obviously. And Blade Runner 20, was it 2049? Yeah. 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 He's in that, too. 
he is indie. They never recast the role, thankfully. So he's in all the other indie movies as indie. So Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, Crystal Skull. Would they ever uh, just do a reboot with that that guy who played in Solo? Oh, gosh. He's just going to become Harrison Ford? No. He did a great job. I could see it. He did a great job, but that's not going to work for me. No, no. Or... It's not gonna, it obviously didn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. So Witness. So now now this is what I was talking about. Yeah, Some Witness these... is a really, really, like, he, is he a, just a detective or a police officer? He's, like, investigating a murder on an yeah. Amish. Mm-hmm. Ends up on an Amish farm. Yeah, that was a great movie. With Kelly McGillis, right? Yes. Yeah. The Mosquito Coast, which uh-huh. also stars River Phoenix. And then he he can do comedy. He was in Working Girl. Yeah. Not one of my favorites, but... Presumed Innocent? Yes. Um, and also, that I'm glad you brought that one up, because that was one that I actually did not put on the list. Uh, but one of my favorite films of his, The Fugitive. Yeah. Love that movie. There's really just... I mean, this kind of goes back to the the casting that we were talking about, where you have chemistry between actors and the chemistry between him and Tommy Lee Jones. And like the one-armed man. It's so good. <laughs> the one-armed man. It's so good. It's so good. So The Fugitive, um, you know, we talked about kind of his roles, Jack Ryan. So Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger. You mentioned Air Force One. Mm-hmm. Get um, off my plane. And then also he was in the remake of Sabrina, which not, oh, a, yeah. not a great remake, but he's... he's. I got confused for a second, thought that he was in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the way you said Sabrina no. Witch. Oh, sorry. I thought that My would apologies. have been inspired casting if he was in that somehow. <laughs> that would somehow. be really interesting. Netflix money's out of control. <laughs> okay, moving on to Marion Ravenwood, played by Karen Allen. Yep. I mean, I could, again, I mean, it's so redundant. I could go on because I just, I love this character. I love her playing this character. Perfect casting. It's probably the the best female character in, in any of the Agreed. Indiana Jones movies. Kind of by a long shot, yeah. to be quite honest. So some of her credits, her first role ever was in National Lampoon's Animal House. Wow. Yeah. She also was in Starman. <laughs> I mean, that's just such a goofy movie. Maybe we'll cover it at some point. Maybe but it, we'll it cover just it. A, that's just a weird movie. She also is very much, I would say, the heart and kind of the grounded feature or grounded character in Scrooged. Yes, very much so. Yeah. I mean, so much about Scrooged is just like so kinetic and hyper and she brings a really nice kind of calming element to it. Uh, she's in Malcolm X. She's in The Sandlot. Yes. She's the yeah. mom. She's in The Perfect Storm. And then she came back for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I, I've i only watched that one time, I think. And I should probably watch it again, um, if for no other reason than to see her yeah. in, in the movie again. Mm-hmm. But also because I don't really remember what the hell went on in that movie. <laughs> and if, they, if they're going to threaten me with a fifth version of the movie or a fifth installment in the franchise... I should probably know a little bit more of there were aliens involved and Shia mm-hmm. LaBeouf was mm-hmm. running Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, uh, Harrison Ford survives a nuclear blast in a fridge. I think I got it actually. Yeah. That's, that's like it. the opening. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Perfect. There you go. 
So what is so interesting about this film is that outside of Harrison Ford and Karen Allen, who are American actors, most of the other major roles were filled by British actors. Hmm. So I, as I was like doing my research, I was like, that's just really interesting to me. Very accomplished actors. So foremost among them, Paul Freeman, who plays Rene Belloc. Belouche. 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 <laughs> um, and so here's the thing. When I was going through the credits for these individuals, I, I realized that probably largely most of our audience is m- mostly familiar with American cinema or American television. He has a really extensive resume, but it's largely projects that were not made in the U.S. and people may not be familiar with. All right. So I tried to, for all of the remaining actors, uh, focus on some credits that people would be familiar with. So among those, um, the TV show Falcon Crest he was on. Holy shit. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. He actually, and he played a different character, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh, really? Yeah. But he, was, he wasn't Belloc? No. That's interesting. Huh. Yeah, I mean, at least he was credited as, like, a different character name. Okay. He was on ER for a while. Interesting. And of all the credits, Hot Fuzz. Who was he in Hot Fuzz? I'm trying to think. Because it, yeah. I I never saw it, but. Priest, maybe? I don't know. Okay, moving on to, and this actually is a really interesting conversation that be could be had because we talked about this in our princess bride episode where we talk about kind of like ranking villains Mm -hmm. and i think you could have a really similar conversation for this film because obviously belloc is is put forth as like the main foe he's his uh rival adversary yeah but when you're talking about evil dudes, bad dudes, the next next guy, Ronald Lacey, yeah, who plays. So forgive me for the pronunciation, but I I think it's said as like Todd. He's okay. So to give a picture, because that may not, he's never referenced by name in the film. So he's like the main bad German dude, right? Yeah, he's the guy with the glasses. Oh, he's the guy with the, the glasses. Hat, okay, and you know the really interesting speaking. Uh, with Wait. the uh, really overly elaborate hanger for his yes, coat. yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. Um, you know, the one who gets his hand burned up uh, by the medallion. So, so that's who I'm talking about. He's never he referred his fam- to. He, he and his men are famously not thirsty. Yeah, and they're they're there for the medallion. Even though he's never referenced by name, I did read something that was kind of interesting to me that his name was kind of a play on the German word for evil. Oh, or death, death. He, My apologies. He, he was uh, he was evil. So oh, absolutely. I'll accept, I'll accept any alternative pronunciations or interpretations of the name that just take us to evil. So some of his credits again, extensive resume. Uh, I I'm not familiar with this, but I just really love the name of this project: the Fearless Vampire Killers. That sounds familiar for some reason. Huh. He also was in a TV series, I'm guessing probably a British TV series, The Prince and the Pauper. He also was... Fe- I was nodding at that. <laughs> he also was featured on Magnum P.I. Wow. Yeah. that's That would have been uh, incredible if Tom Selleck had been right? indie. Yeah. Yeah. And then also uh, Red Sonja. 
So some of his credits that maybe people would be more familiar with. Are there multiple versions of that movie? I feel like there was an older one and then they redid that too. But that's in like the whole like Conan universe, which I am just not as familiar with. Nor am I. I know there's one with Arnie and Wilt Chamberlain. Yes. There's one or two. Arnie. Yeah, with a, with with the two of them. With our buddy was... Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Arnie. <laughs> so moving on to the gentleman who plays Sala. Man, John Reese davis is so good. So good. Also from uh, the TV series Sliders, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's one of his credits. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one that I didn't have down here. But again, I mean, I say this for almost everybody – but extensive resume, he currently has 270 credits. He's featured prominently in the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. He sure is. And yeah. actually, what's funny about that is I did notice that they, it's like uncredited. So <laughs> he he did it as probably a favor. But yeah. some of his other credits, Victor Victoria. Okay. This one I mention, I am mentioning currently because it is like this weird kind of like B movie, but there's actually a ton of people who are in it. It's oh, really weird. No, I'm interested. What is yeah, this? Yeah, it's Grizzly 2 Revenge. <laughs> and so... I didn't really know what you were going to say, but it sure as hell wasn't that. Yeah, it's so weird though, because there's like so many people who are in this film. So besides him, Louise Fletcher, Deborah Foreman, who... She's from Valley Girl, so she's in it. Um, and also, she had kind of that bit part in Real Genius. She oh, was the daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We also have Laura Dern. Are we? We're going through Grizzly 2's credits right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, got I it. Just, because it is so <laughs> bizarre I'm to I'm like, me. she wasn't in Andina Jones? George Clooney. Wow. And Charlie Sheen. This podcast just became an endorsement of Grizzly 2. Sorry, too. I just... Whatever, I know, whatever point, it's called. What is the subtitle? We are going to... Revenge. Revenge. We're going to have to watch that movie because I'm like, what, what is... What year is this? Uh, I mean, it's in the 80s. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm like, what is up with this movie Grizzly and having two, so revenge. many people in it? Anyway. Is it even The Revenge or is it just It's revenge? literally just Revenge. <laughs> Grizzly 2 colon Revenge. <laughs> So that will be coming up at some point. Oh, man. Probably. I can't wait. He's also in The Living Daylights. He also comes back for he Last is in Crusade. The Living Daylights, another, like the first Timothy Dalton James Bond movie. Okay. Yeah. Not a, just not a Bond person. Yeah. That was, that was like the, a weird new transition for James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, came back for Last Crusade. And then actually what probably a lot of people, maybe younger film fans know him from is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He's Gimli, right? Correct. Yeah. So he's in all three of those. So that might be something that uh, is more familiar I mean, for some y- film you fans. you recognize him if, if you knew that he played that role, but, you know, he doesn't really look like John Reese davis as Gimli. No, I get the sense, though, that for somebody who would probably consider themselves a Lord of the Rings fan, they, they would know him. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So moving on to... Uh, the gentleman who plays Marcus Brody, Denholm Elliott. Mm-hmm. So, again, extensive career, very accomplished British actor. Some of the credits that I felt people might be familiar with, The Hound of the Baskervilles. A great so. Sherlock Holmes story. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is another film, and we'll probably be doing it at some point. He's in Trading Places. He plays Coleman. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who so Coleman also, is. So um, also... 
how do I explain? I think he's like kind of, ugh, I hate using this word, but like the servant of the two brothers. Um, okay, okay. If I'm remembering correctly. It's been a while since I've watched that one. The Razor's Edge, A Room with a View. He also comes back for Last Crusade. And then a really underrated film that I think more people should watch is Noises Off. Really funny film. Okay. I've never heard of it. Great ensemble cast. All right. So he is in that. And again, just a sampling of what this gentleman did in his career. Moving on. So we got two more people that I wanted to bring up. One of which is Alfred Molina. Yeah, he he has... um, I mean, he's in the very beginning of the film when Indy is you know, checking out multiple pieces of a map and scoping out where to go. And then the one guy pulls out his gun. Mm -hmm. And I never noticed this before. Maybe I did. I don't know. But he kind of gives a look to Alfred Molina's character. And I feel like they were going to, like, team up to... Collusion. Yeah, there was some serious collusion going on. In any case, it doesn't really matter because he doesn't make it that much further. He gets as far as, give me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. You know... That's about it. The the tarantula scene. Yeah. Very yeah. iconic. He he has a great scream though. Like and when Indy waves his hand over the light and the other archaeologist uh is revealed mm-hmm. to have been brutally killed mm-hmm. by one of these devices. And he just kind of like screams in terror. It's a great scream. It's a great scream. Yeah, it's a good horror movie scream. I mean, I can't say for sure. Like it's possible that they did tweak that scream. We can't say with certainty that that was all him. But I, I choose to believe that everything I saw in that movie was real, <laughs> including that screen. But talk about a great cameo to like yeah. kind of kick off your career. It wasn't like his very first credit, but it's really early in his career. So talk about a really great film to be part of. I still think of him for whatever reason, mostly as a doctor. Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. In, in, and uh, we will definitely Spider-Man get there. Yeah. I mean, this guy, and this isn't to say that anybody else we've talked about already doesn't have range, but when I was going through his credits, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy can do anything. So among his credits, Lady Hawk. Oh my God. We're going to definitely go into that Yep, at some point. Yeah. We sure will. Not without my daughter. <laughs> I just love that title. Yeah, I feel like Lifetime became aware of how ridiculous some of the titles of their movies were. Was that a Lifetime movie, or was it just a movie that appeared on Lifetime? No, that's a Sally Field movie. But it became kind of like this... Maybe it was like like inspiration for all the Lifetime movies? When I think of Lifetime movies, I think of that movie, because they like latched onto it, and they're like, we're going full throttle into this. Oh, I didn't know that it ever like played on that channel. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Maverick? Boogie yes, Nights. he is great in Maverick. He's like, <laughs> sorry, he um, <laughs> he's this uh, kind of nemesis that plays against um, Mel Gibson's character, mm-hmm. uh, Bert, Brett Maverick, throughout the movie. And uh, yeah, he. I mean, I didn't even think of him as being in that because when he plays these roles, he just becomes a you know absolutely, which in fact is acting. That's he what it is. really becomes that character. Yeah. So. Maverick, mm-hmm. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Chocolat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like such a... I like saying some of these titles. <laughs> you just mentioned Spider-Man 2, Doc Ock, yep. Dr. Octavius. So I just really quick wanted to say something about that because that is probably my favorite of any Spider-Man movie. And it's like 
in my memory it feels like that was so long ago that movie maybe to some people it is long ago but I don't think so when you see that it just came out in 2004 so like about 15 years ago and we've had like 36 more Spider-Man since then yeah they Sony has not sat on their hands with that franchise they have made it and then remade it and then there was like a whole jazz dance thing and then let's remake it again and suddenly tom holland we're not going to have it be part of the marvel universe oh shit we are again everything's fine let's yeah, just move on it, it, look i know that that's the nature of things again another conversation that could be had but i was like wow that was just 2004 that does not feel like that long ago and we've had so many more since then with like reboots well, we didn't even talk about the whole Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone version. And we're not going to. They're okay. They're Let's, not bad. We'll keep going. Um, you and I know him from The Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Yep. He also was on, while it was on, Law & Order LA. Okay. I was going to mention also briefly that, I mean, The Da Vinci Code, those those novels that then turned into movies themselves feel like they were in part inspired by the indiana jones franchise i could see that and i mean he's really good and again like it just speaks to the range that this guy has the fact that he can do something like maverick and boogie nights and then da vinci code i mean it's just incredible to me because a lot of times you know actors and actresses could easily get kind of pigeonholed a little bit into certain roles sometimes they are totally fine with that yeah but uh yeah he's also he i wanted to bring this up again just to speak to his his i don't know maybe this doesn't really constitute range but he is on an episode of drunk history which i thought was hilarious holy shit that's amazing yeah we're gonna check that out i think that's actually maybe one of the reasons why i put that down is because i think that in addition to him having range he has fun with his acting you know so he has um he was on angie tribeca though he's not credited okay so and then robot chicken so like this guy can do anything that's cool yeah so okay wrapping up with the last of the actors we're going to talk about here wolf collar it's always a good start if your first name is wolf but if your last name is collar it's confusing because it sounds like an actual collar for a wolf. Oh, okay. But it's not spelled that way. So it's not spelled that way. Let's just move on. He he plays Dietrich. So he actually is a German actor who was brought on for this role. He plays the very uh, typical kind of Nazi soldier. He is tall and he is blonde and he is blue eyed. And because of his look, I read that he actually... That that is a lot of, and that is not to take away from you know the impressive nature of his career, but he took on a lot of Nazi roles because holy shit, yeah, um, he he because he looked like a Nazi exactly, yeah, he has been in a lot of different projects where it was around that era, and he was brought in for that type of character, but among some of his credits. Uh, he also was featured in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. As the same character? Or no, no I don't think so. Right. Um, he And then this kind of goes to what I was just saying. He was in Band of Brothers. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then uh, he was in Bridget Jones' Edge of Reason. So that's really interesting. That is. Yeah. I, I, would, I haven't I would, seen that, but I don't remember any Nazis yeah, in that movie. <laughs> I would watch that movie just to kind of see what he plays in it. And then we are definitely going to rewatch this. Again, within kind of this, like, um, yeah, I'll just say it Wonder Woman. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, a Nazi soldier or a German soldier because that was World War One, yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I thought I was like, oh wow, we're gonna have to check that out again. 
So that is the very, I know, long but distinguished list of individuals who are part of this film that I wanted to give some attention to. And now moving on to as we do the synopsis that we pull from IMDb and talk about how accurate we think it is. I always forget about that, but... In 1936, archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf... Say it better than me. Adolf. Adolf? Yeah. Adolf Hitler's (laughs) Nazis can obtain its awesome powers. That's pretty accurate. It's pretty good. I don't have any issues with that. I have no issues with that. So... I, you know, we talk about this with Kamishia, and we, you and I didn't really get a chance to do this. Talk about, you know, like kind of first memories of this yeah. movie. I guess I did a little bit. I, I guess it's, you know, fair to kind of reiterate. I don't have, um, you know, that clear first memory because it was just too young um, when when this movie started being in on rotation in our house. Yeah. I think it's hilarious because exactly like Kamishi was saying, and we'll get into that with her, this was probably not a film that children should be watching, but I most certainly saw it as a child. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah. I saw this. I saw it a lot. Young children. I saw it a lot as a as a kid. I don't really have a strong first memory of seeing it. I think I say that later on. But um, but yeah, I have, I have memories of seeing the sequel slash prequel Indiana Jones Mm -hmm. and the Temple of Doom in the movie theater and definitely have uh, really positive memories of seeing it in the theater, um, The the Last Crusade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this one was kind of similar to Back to the Future in that I had seen it so many times and it was just on this like rotation Mm -hmm. whenever it was available to watch or I would just rent it and watch it, I would because it was such a great movie. Same as you. The only memory I have of actually seeing something in the theater is Last Crusade. And the reason why I remember that is because, as I mentioned in our conversation with her, um, with Kamishia, you know, my dad wasn't a huge film person, but he loved Indiana Jones. And I remember he was so excited yeah. about seeing this movie. And so, yeah, I definitely remember getting our seats and the, the whole shebang. I, so, okay, as a young child, the things that stick out to me kind of like with E.T. are the scarier parts. Uh, and that was mostly the ending of this film. With, <laughs> with, oh, does something traumatic happen at, with, at the end of this with movie? With the like, biblical massacre of all of these Nazis. I, I still kind of remember. Like I don't remember the first instance in which I saw it, but I still remember just the impression that the opening of the arc and they pull Mm -hmm. out the sand and there's like the laughter and like what a waste. Right. And then shit starts getting real. That like throbbing music that you hear coming up. And you see, you see these spirits start coming up. And I remember thinking at the time, and and I think these effects hold up pretty well Mm -hmm. now, but at the time it was like, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) What is this? And when that one uh, spirit looks kind of like at the viewer and transforms mm-hmm. into this evil image. Mm-hmm. That's when it just all goes crazy. Like yeah. guys are getting lit up, lightning shooting through their body. And then of course you see um, the most evil of all evil guys. Mm-hmm. They, they just start screaming and melting like, mm-hmm. like disgusting wax candles. And it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's so good. I think that in part, what really drew me to this film at a very young age is I I was aware of this this thing called the the arc 
the Ark of the Covenant from a young age. And I think anybody who grew up in any semblance of like a Judeo-Christian home where this was, you know, part of an influence on them, they were aware of this thing. And I think that that definitely had a lore for me because I knew of this thing and to see a story that talks about it and brings in all of those elements was fascinating to me, even as a child. And I think that's also why... I maybe gravitate more towards Last Crusade than Temple of Doom because they kind of bring back that element with with the actual Crusades and the, the Holy Grail. Well, how and do we all that. how do we one up the the Ark of the Covenant? Right. What about the Holy Grail? Exactly, okay. exactly. Um, and so you know, regardless of your stance on on those kinds of biblical elements, it it makes for a really really interesting story. And I think that's definitely what what it was for me, even before I really understood some of the other elements. Like, I don't know if really the first time I saw this, I was understanding just how bad the Nazis were or things like that. But I definitely understood what the arc was supposed to represent. Between the Blues Brothers and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I knew that they were they were pretty bad. (laughs) So. And then just between those two movies and like school in general. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I was just thinking on the Ark, the Covenant versus the Holy Grail and mm-hmm. which one, cause I, I don't have that same level of, of knowledge that you do with, with some of that. And like the, on the one hand, the Holy Grail, everlasting life, at least that's how it was portrayed mm-hmm. in, in the last crusade. But they they mentioned frequently in Raiders of the Lost Ark just this destructive power Mm -hmm. of the Ark. Mm -hmm. And I think that made, that's one of the things that in my mind makes Raiders kind of stand out from any of the other sequels. I mean, in in Temple of Doom, you have kind of like the the stones, Mm -hmm. uh, you get the grail, but the Ark is just like, it's got its own theme. Yeah. It, uh, it's just, they, they did such a great job of portraying it as just this, this physical being that manifests limitless mm-hmm. power and energy. Yeah. And I mean, so that kind of was my major takeaway when I was like thinking about how did I feel about this movie as a child? And when we watched it the other night, I mean, none of that really went away for me. It never has. And, you know, we, we watched this movie a lot. Uh, what, what I really took away from the last screening of it was again just how well constructed this movie is and that sometimes i don't think people maybe see that because it's it's just so good and so fun from literally the first scene of the movie Mm -hmm. introducing you to indiana jones to the final scene where we get that 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 reveal Mm -hmm. that the ark has just been stored away in this massive government yep. warehouse with who knows how many other secret items. Right. Which that scene, in fact, did have a pretty significant role in inspiring the X Files. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just, it's such a great movie from start to finish, from literally the first to last scene. Absolutely. And that was, I mean, among some of my notes that I wrote, best open. Yeah. Best ending. Yeah. <laughs> So as long as you don't uh, screw up the middle, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. And again, you know, what what makes it such a great tight film is they managed to 
overlap on these things that they need to do to create a successful film. So not only do they have this amazing cold open that brings you into the story, they simultaneously are introducing the main character. Yeah. And that is one thing that I kept thinking about while we were watching it is how great these character introductions are. And I'm thinking about kind of like the really top top people. So Indy, Belloc, and Marianne. Yeah. And actually, I, again, I'm going to butcher his character's name, but Todd or yeah. whatever his no, name is. No, he has a great intro. They all, great all, intro. All of the major characters have really like long-lasting, memorable introductions. Mm-hmm. That give you instant knowledge of who that character yeah. is. Yeah. And then there's a lot of payoff for how those characters are introduced later in the film. Like not only with Indy and his fear of snakes and then that coming back, but Marion and the fact that, you know, she's introduced as this person who can very much hold her liquor. And then when she's trying to escape from Belloc, you know exactly what she's doing. It's like, I I love when filmmakers do that where like you and the character share the secret. Yeah. And you know that she is pretending to get totally wasted when no, she she's fine. I, I feel like Belloc knows it pretty early on when she downs the first glass and he's like raised eyebrow like, oh, shit. I mean, yes I think and he, no. has a, he has a hint. He he probably has a hint, but I still think that it's kind of this like in joke yeah. that is shared. And so I just I love when films do that. And yeah, among all the major characters, such great introductions. And that's something that, you know, regardless of maybe where you are in the industry, but especially as a writer, you're told you got to have strong character introductions. And I don't think there's a film that does it better. Yeah. Than what, what is uh, our introduction with Belloc is? Once again, we find that there's nothing that you can't find that I can't take away yeah, from you. Yeah, I mean, something within of, of, the first 10 seconds yeah. of seeing this guy. You do get a sense that he's this like evil character. And I do feel like throughout the movie, just by virtue of his juxtaposition against the actual Nazi characters, you realize that he's not an inherently evil character, but he certainly is someone whose greed has has led him down this path of being the bad guy yeah, or he, a bad guy. He actually kind of has layers to him. Yeah, you know? he's one of the more complex characters in this movie. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. I don't think he's inherently evil, but in his his passion for finding these things, he's willing to you know, do away with integrity and any sense of morality by working with really bad people. Yeah, it's been twisted. His passion of archaeology has twisted, been twisted by this uh, greed. Yeah. So I think... I think it's time. I think it's time. Let's uh, let's talk to Kamishia. Let's do it. And so we are so thrilled to have on our show today good friend and writer, director producer Kamisha Wotin. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're so thrilled to have you. Um, we're thrilled because I know that you also are a huge lover of film, as are we. And this is definitely one of our like, well, I, I'll only speak for myself, but what are my top five? Films? No, I think I think that's right. I I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of the movies that we've done, and we've certainly covered some 80s movies that would be considered cult classics, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is by no means a cult classic. It, it's a mm-hmm. movie that in like many ways changed a lot. In Definitely. I think that when you think of the 80s, it is one of those films that is very forward in people's minds as far as like what they recall about that era and films that have 
really had a significant impact in terms of culture and society. And so as we normally do, I usually start with kind of going back to first memories of this film. And so I'm going to throw that out to you and ask if you have any concrete memories of seeing this film for the first time about how old you were and what it felt like for you to watch this for the first screening, the first experience of watching Raiders. Uh, I probably was no older than 10. Okay. I'm thinking, cause I, I was hooked on the Indiana Jones franchise very, probably as soon as I could speak. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I, I just remember like, I used to watch all my movies in the den. Like we had a den in a living room and the den is where the kids would, um, would watch and I would sit on the floor in front of a big tube back then because there wasn't a flat screen because it's the oh, yeah. 80s. <laughs> yep. We we know what you're speaking of very well. Yes. I mean, you could get a 30, if you had a 30 inch TV, that was insane. And it was also probably right. a thousand pounds. It was enorm- like enormous. And we yeah. had a big one because um, my dad would watch sports in there too. Um, so I would sit on the floor and literally glued, like I could not move and watch the entire movie. Um, I had a vivid imagination as a kid and watching it was just captivating for me with all the Mm -hmm. action and, um, and just the intelligence of Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones character. I actually wanted to be an archeologist for a long time. (laughs) And I used, yeah, I did. And I used to do little um, fake archeologist trips in my grandmother's backyard because she had a really big backyard when we would go over there and pretend like I'm finding artifacts. That's amazing. Like Indiana Jones. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you watch this, so you mentioned like that you had like a family den. Do you remember if you alone kind of really resonated with this film or did your family as a whole love this movie? I think it was my family as a whole because mm-hmm. I feel like my first, actually Raiders of the Lost Ark wasn't the first Indiana Jones movie I watched because okay. I think this came out 81. I was a baby. Like I was mm-hmm. born in, in 80, but um, I think, cause I know the Temple of Doom came out in 84. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was the first one I watched and I watched that with my parents. And so then I went back and watched the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And mm-hmm. yeah, I will watch them constantly. That 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 was one of the movies that was on rotation all the time that I can sit and watch all the way through. You kind of um, saw them in the right order then, right? Right, because it's a prequel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that isn't that so kind of bizarre to me. Like, I don't know, the fact that they did like they moved back in time only by like a year. I was so confused. I this obviously isn't about Temple of Doom, but I was so confused the first few minutes when I saw that because I do remember seeing that in the theater. I don't have that same memory of Raiders mm-hmm. in a theater, mm-hmm. but the first few minutes of Temple of Doom, I'm like, I got this like really high anxiety thinking, am I in the wrong movie theater? What <laughs> even is this? Yeah. 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 That's so such an interesting like way that they position that because I think it goes from like, 36 to 35 and then obviously last crusade comes after both of them yeah but uh in any case so i'm 
I'm so curious because you've mentioned that you watched Temple of Doom with your parents and that you were allowed to watch Raiders at a pretty young age. And both films, I mean, Temple of Doom in particular has some like really graphic. I know. I I watched a lot of inappropriate films. That is when I was was like Scarface. I watched Scarface as a kid and I can't believe my parents let me watch that. I feel like that's something very indicative of children who grew up in the 80s. It it really is. Where, yeah, like parents were like, whatever. Like, Like, all the good Sorry, go ahead. No, even horror movies. I think of all yeah. the horror movies I watched yeah. too, like yes. Jace. I can't even watch them now as an adult. Yes. That's uh that's what I was gonna say is my dad thought it was a good idea to watch The Exorcist and Alien when I was Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep, I, I saw mean, all of those as a kid. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is is that like I I have memories. I mean, here's the thing. My my first recollection of Raiders, I don't know if I have like a really strong memory of like, you know, sitting down. I didn't, I know I didn't see it in the theater either because I was too young, but um, I I definitely remember when that spirit at the very end, I mean, that, that for sure was like the one memory locked in <laughs> is that final scene. Cause it's like so yeah. over the top with her turning into this, like when it changes from yes. kind of like this angelic figure to exactly literally death. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like a um, more uh, horrific transition that I feel like Ghostbusters maybe uh, oh yeah like yeah. was inspired by because of that opening scene but then it goes from just that that kind of like terrifying transition that that's not even the worst thing that happens within like the next five minutes right. when you know yeah when they all turn into candle wax exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> so when you were watching this with your parents do you have any recollection of them um and and now this is not throwing shade at the movie because i think they're you know they're excellent films but like did they at all shield you from any of those moments i'm pretty sure my mom would have because that was her thing like she had (laughs) if there was a sex scene or inappropriate Mm -hmm. scene those hands went right over my eyes yeah (laughs) 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 and when you were I know it's 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 one of those things that seriously I feel like if you weren't part of that era you maybe don't understand because I mean look we could have a whole conversation about the idea of like helicopter parents and that whole thing but mm-hmm. I definitely think that that was not something well, happening not in the at, 80s yeah, yeah. My, yeah my parents were the total opposite of helicopter parents and thankfully they had well-behaved kids right we could have taken advantage and we didn't <laughs> I think that that's a really excellent point. And I mean, not to get too far away from the conversation (laughs) about Raiders, but I do think that 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 does inform um, the the children that came out of that era, because I totally agree with you. I've I've said that myself about my father is that there was kind of this expectation of not not taking away your childhood by any means, but like having this like level of trust in your children that they can handle certain things. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that when you when a parent gives that to a child, oftentimes the child, you know, rises up to that level. And so same thing, like I remember seeing pretty intense movies at a really young age. Yeah. yeah. And and never, it was fine. Honestly. I never got the I never got the hand over my face for like the, <laughs> the opening of Raiders when you know 
Indy waves his hand in front of the beam of light mm -hmm. and uh, that horrific scene happens with the other archaeologist. No one, yeah. no one cared about that. But if there's like a kissing or sex scene, that's when the hand would go over my yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> Same, same, same. Not with the scary parts, but the, yeah. the sexual parts. <laughs> that's what I had to be protected from. It's so, yeah, another, you know, aspect that's like so indicative of, I think, both American culture and parents at that time. But yeah. um, so I, okay, first of all, I love that your parents introduced you to these films because I do think, and we've had this conversation before with other guests that when you are exposed to certain films from this from this era at a as a child it it leaves this kind of like resonance with you and mm -hmm. obviously i know we're talking about a movie that lots of people love but it i do think that there's a huge difference between seeing some of these films as a child and then not being introduced to them until you're an adult and yeah. and not having yeah so would you say that if if you hadn't had that experience and your parents hadn't let you watch this film as a younger age. I know it's hard to, you know, kind of go into these hypotheticals, but do you feel like this film would have meant as much to you if you only had seen it as an adult? No, not at all. I, I think it set the tone for me watching actual, at some action adventure films. Cause that's like my, or yes. in fantasy, that's like my favorite genre. Oh um, yeah. Okay. And I, and it gives you this feel good feeling that I think um, you only not saying you don't get it as an adult, but it, it's bigger as a kid. Like you're mm -hmm. excited and you're like amazed and you're wow. And it's almost like being at a theme park. Like that's the feeling yes. I got as a kid watching movies, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and other movies, like especially with the soundtrack, the big mm -hmm. soundtrack. And it just makes you feel like you can save the world. Um, you know, that's just, to me, that's part of being a kid. And those movies kind of heighten those emotions that you have as a kid. Absolutely agree. And I love what you said about it feeling almost like like an amusement park or an adventure because mm -hmm. that's exactly what it is. And I think what this film does so well is like, yes, obviously it has kind of like more adult content in terms of like some of the like like violence or the like horror elements. But overall, I do feel like it's a it's a maybe I wouldn't say family film, but a film that both children and adults can really like buy into. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe from the adult perspective, because it kind of brings them back to being a kid perhaps. But, um, but I think that that's in part, at least I would say the reason why this film continues to have such an impact on culture because of that, like everybody can kind of buy into this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I, I don't necessarily remember, like I said, the first time I saw it, I've seen it so many times and we have seen it in so many different ways, like outdoor screenings. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we literally watch this every Saturday night. Um, but watching it now, you know, we, we watch every movie before we do an episode and we kind of think about things that happen in the movie a little bit more critically. But when I saw this or, or like other action adventure films when I was younger, I didn't really question a whole lot of anything. You might, you might watch it and go like, yeah, that's not going to happen, but <laughs> you still are just along for the ride because mm -hmm. they are like thrill mm -hmm. rides where it's just, you know, up and down, you're kind of excited to see what's going to happen. And I, I think also, you know, in the eighties, as compared to current movies, the use of practical effects just yeah. gave it like this visceral feel where mm -hmm. it did make it easier to suspend that disbelief. 
Yeah. Yeah. I really believe those guys melted and I felt bad for them. <laughs> I know. I know. I was looking at, like I watched, rewatched it recently as well. And I was like, I still think it's pretty cool for what they did during, yeah. during the times. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. read that, um, the person who did those visual effects actually was getting like bombarded with calls from other people in that same specialty saying like, how did you do that? Because we yeah. want to try to do that for our films. Um, I'm curious. So this is the second Steven Spielberg fan that uh, film. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan. I'm the second <laughs> I, fan. <laughs> I'm a Spielberg fan. And this is the second film of his that we have covered in the podcast. And I'm curious if growing up, was this kind of a one-off for you where it was specifically this film series that like really resonated with you? Or would you say that you were a Spielberg fan growing up? I was a Spielberg fan because E.T. actually is my first visual film memory. Like that's, yeah. If I could think about the first film that I remember seeing, E.T. was that film. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. We might have to have you back. We, we had our episode on, e- that, that was the other film. That oh, okay. We okay. ET. But, um, but I, like I said, listening to our guests talk about their first memories is so fascinating to me that maybe, maybe we'll do a revisit of ET at some part sometime in the future and have you back on. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting because when we were talking about E.T. and kind of the look and feel of the neighborhood that he created in that mm-hmm, movie mm-hmm. and how similar it was to Poltergeist, which mm-hmm, it almost could mm-hmm. have happened in like the same neighborhood, which would have been really rough like for that neighborhood. like an alternate reality of Poltergeist. Yeah. And like Raiders has such a different feel to it. it. It really like takes everything a step further as far as just the action and how wild things things get i suppose Mm -hmm. whereas like et and poltergeist were like on one hand grounded in more of like a reality to show that contrast and and like here's these wild experiences that these people are going through indy's just crazy from the literally from the start with Mm -hmm. the whip and the gun yeah i i I think i i I read somewhere that steven spielberg wanted to direct a um bond type movie Mm -hmm. and george lucas was like i have something better it's like it is. <laughs> when he He's said, right. he said yeah. it's, it's Bond without the hardware, you know. It, that's a yeah. really great way yeah. of putting it. Yeah, I I love that way of like succinctly showing what that character is. And speaking of, so this is one thing that like on, on our last viewing of this, I I was thinking a lot about just how much of an impact it makes when you have a certain actor or actress play a given role and honestly of of any of the films that we've covered so far or ones that are kind of like in my my top 10 I think indie is really up there in terms of you know I think it says something when he also plays this other iconic character by the name of Han Solo yes but I think (laughs) (laughs) might have heard of him but um I I identify him as indie, and I was curious, like, what your thoughts were on the importance of certain actors being cast in roles, or do you think that this could have been as successful of a movie where you know I'm 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 sure this is like no secret that like Tom Selleck was kind of the person that they were trying yep. to get in this role. <laughs> so, like, what are your thoughts on that of how this film would have turned out had it not been cast with Harrison Ford? Man. 
I can't see it without Harrison Ford being Andy right. because he like he is the brand. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like Tom Selleck would have done decent. Like looking I think at that could have worked. Yeah, I think it would have worked yeah. well, and it probably would have made Tom Selleck a bigger star if yeah. he was casted as Indy. But I could totally, I could totally see Tom Selleck. But of course, Harrison Ford like owns the character, and he does a really great job in it. So. Why, why wasn't he? Why couldn't they get him? Was it? I, please don't tell me it was because of Magnum P.I. Yes, yes it was. exactly. Yeah, yes, it was. <laughs> Which is a part yeah. of the 80s, too. Like, I don't know if Magnum P.I. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's what I was thinking of, where I'm like, yeah, I could see him as that, because he had kind of like that same uh, expressive quality about him that mm-hmm. you see in Harrison Ford to bring kind of like the action and like some of the like lighter moments where there's like some comedic part of it Mm -hmm. so i could totally see selick do that i don't know if i could see like indy whipping it around with a mustache i don't know if they would have if there had been (laughs) like Mm -hmm. a mustache provision in the contract but uh man that's crazy yeah and i guess i mean i i don't have multiple sources to like back up this but i did read that as it turned out Selleck was kind of like he could have been available because there was the reasoning that he was filming Magnum P.I., but apparently like something got delayed or they just didn't start shooting as quickly as they were going to. And so he was kind of just hanging out in Hawaii and probably could have been part of the movie. And it just, well, but you know, kismet how it, things turn out, out for okay. the best. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Selleck's had a very successful TV career. He's, he's doing okay. He has an avocado farm. I have not seen a single <laughs> episode of blue bloods and I don't know if I ever will. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a whole conversation, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I bet you he's kicking himself for it. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think that, to be another uh, there's there's honestly so many conversations to be had but when you hear about people who like turn down certain roles or for x y and z reason they couldn't be cast in certain roles you know you think about the what ifs and i'm sure the actors also think about the what ifs of because here's the thing is that look i i love harrison ford he he really i i think in part because he's one of these actors from my childhood that you know he's part of these multiple beloved franchises Mm -hmm. and i think that the fact that um you know indy came along a couple years after star wars but the fact that they kind of were like bouncing off each other in terms of release dates throughout the entirety of the 80s really solidified his position as you know an action star for sure but then also just a huge movie star and and you know sometimes that's just um I don't know the luck of the draw. I mean, yeah. I know that Lucas didn't actually want to cast Ford, not for any nefarious reason. He just, um, you know, their good buddy, Martin Scorsese. He, it's obvious that Scorsese likes to work with the same actors mm-hmm. and he didn't want to have that kind of opinion of him. I don't know why he thought that was negative per se, but um, you know, Scorsese puts De Niro in, in virtually everything he makes. And so he didn't want to do that. But um, I like that you said virtually because he was virtually present in the Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> what a boom. That's me trying to do the drum thing. <laughs> So another character, because that was something that really came through to me on this last screening, is just all these character introductions. And mm-hmm. now I am a woman 
Kamisha, you are a woman. And usually I think women get a little little bit of the short stick when it comes yeah. to action films, adventure films. So we have this character of Marianne Ravenwood. I'm going to zip my lip because I don't want to influence what you might say about her. But how do you feel about this character in this film and in this genre of film? Um, hmm. well, in the eighties, of course, they, you know, a lot of action films portrayed women as helpless, you know, mm-hmm. characters, and they were primarily there for eye candy and romantic interest. But for this one, I felt like she did hold her own in mm-hmm. some of the scenes, which I appreciated. I felt like, of course, she did have those stereotypical characteristics of a, of a woman. Like there was one scene where she was running in heels. Or they were like yeah. wedges. And I was like, and as an adult watching that, like, I'm, you know, I now see things differently. Right, right. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I was, I, I was like, I'll give it a pass because it was the 80s. And it seems like people are more educated now mm-hmm. and um, are making better films with better representation of women. But I, I, I you know, and also it's, you know, it's normally the man rescuing the woman after she's right. been captured. But I do, I do the qualities I do like about her, you know, she had her own bar. She can hold her liquor. Oh yeah. Um, she can get herself out of a fight, you know? So those things I appreciate about, appreciate about this film. And I think it was probably a little bit more for it than other action films during the mm-hmm. era. So I will give it a slight pass. There were some issues, but I think still, um, for the film, I thought it was it was the um, it was a little bit more progressive mm-hmm. than what we would normally get in the eighties in those type of films. Yeah, we were talking about the Princess Bride, and that was something mm-hmm. that I thought of while watching Raiders last night. Was you know, especially in the um, in the in the forest when Buttercup is kind of watching Wesley, Wesley. fight mm-hmm. away at the uh, the giant rats. Rats of unusual size. They were, yeah, they've become <laughs> usual to me. So now I just call them giant rats. Um, but seeing that and then seeing Marion like knocking people out with frying pans mm-hmm. and drinking yeah. what appeared to be all of the liquor at her own bar, which can't be... <laughs> Good, good for business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. We we actually thought, does she make more from the gambling on her own drinking ability than selling the liquor in the bar? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but no, that she she's a great character with kind of a badass name. Yeah. Marion Ravenwood. Yeah, it's a really good, strong name. But I I know exactly what scene you are talking about when she's running in the wedges and she's mm-hmm. carrying that frying pan. And I thought the exact same thing when we were watching. I was like, oh, no, no, sadly, that would. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sadly, there are scenes in Jurassic World featuring Bryce Dallas Howard running from dinosaurs in heels. <laughs> what is it about the heel running in heels? I just don't understand. Like, oh. I've never worn them, but it seems difficult. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very difficult. Um yeah, I think running on your toes the whole time. Can you even oh, use your heel? It's miserable. Yeah, I actually stopped wearing heels. Agreed. Um, yeah, me I too. don't wear them anymore. Well, <laughs> that's because it makes you taller than me. Aww. <laughs> okay, I'll let you think that. It's really just it's they're so uncomfortable. I think that they should be banned. In any case, that's another <laughs> conversation for another day. Um, in terms of okay, so I I agree on all points of what you said about Marion. Now I'm curious because although we are focusing on Raiders, 
mm-hmm. for the purposes of this episode. When you look at the trilogy, and I, yes, I recognize that there was a fourth indie film. It's so far removed from the rest of them. There's a fifth coming up. Yeah, and supposedly there's a fifth coming up. But um, so I'm looking at the the first three, so the trilogy here, and when okay. you look at Marion compared to the other two female leads in Doom and Crusade. Hmm. Look, I love this series, but I do feel like there is somewhat of a regression yeah. in terms of the strength of the female character. So, okay. So it seems like you seem to agree. With- yeah, especially in Doom. That's the one I yeah. remember yeah. more vividly. Like, it's, it's definitely a downgrade, to be honest yeah. with you, in terms of the portrayal of the um, the romantic interest. Right. Yeah. And given that that was the first of the indie films that you actually saw... Do you have any recollection of, I mean, like, I know you're like, it was, you were just a young girl watching Mm -hmm. these movies, but was there anything that like pinged you when you were watching one or the other about like the contrast between the two of them or Um, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I, if I was thinking that critically, right. (laughs) Right. But now (laughs) thinking. You're it like, was, I was a film critic when I was like five years old. Yeah, but I can't, I feel like they, the focus was always on indie, like to the point right. where the, the, you know, and this is just the way we've been conditioned to watch movies, especially mm-hmm. during those times, like the, the, the female lead was just an afterthought. Like mm-hmm. um, it was about indie, but I do remember her being helpless and yeah. almost annoying yeah. I'm not going to say almost annoying, but I, I'm going to say annoying. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> um, fair. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of like definitely she was seen more as a sex symbol as Marion's character was like badass, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love Kate Capshaw. And mm-hmm. I know that the filming of Doom led to, you know, Spielberg and her falling in love. But Willie Scott... I, as much as I love Spielberg, I think that, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't put all the responsibility on him because it's a combination of individuals Mm -hmm. who, you know, eventually put forth certain characters, but I felt like that was a real regression. Yeah, Um, I agree. Yeah. I, um, I would argue that there's not only regression in some of the female characters when you look at Raiders versus some of the sequels, but Raiders of the Lost Ark has kind of the best version of all of the characters. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in some ways, the best version of Indy, although that he's, he's more or less the same throughout, but uh, Sala and Brody mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. particular are like pretty competent, capable, like real characters in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then in uh, the last crusade, they're, they're almost just completely relegated to being comic relief. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a real shame. Yeah, I Derek and I have had this conversation a couple times now, and like I guess, I guess I'll start with this. Um, we're, we'll continue on this this track, but like between the three the three first films, indie films, would you say that Raiders is is probably like if you had to choose your favorite among the three, or if I had to choose, I would say it's between the first and second, only because okay. I don't know what it is about the second. Maybe it was my first time really being introduced to the franchise. Right. Um, yeah, because I'm also, I, I love the exotic places. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think the visuals and where they were, like in the caves and stuff, and the whole, like, 
the um, witchcraft or mm-hmm. I, I would say like the the sorcery in it all um, really fascinated me. Um, Guys yeah. getting uh, hearts ripped out of their chest was pretty yeah. intense. <laughs> I know, right? And I can't believe I saw that as a kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, that's because that's one of the moments I remember. And I'm always, you know, what's going to happen. And I'm like anticipating it and hoping it doesn't happen. And, you know, you, that, you know, that scene. Um, My chest so, tightens up just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I think, between those two, um, I definitely like the portrayal of the the, the, the female character in the first mm-hmm. one, um, opposed to the second one. But I, for some reason, the adventure in the second one, I, I, I like better for some reason. That, no, I, I totally get that. And I think that, um, not to take away from, like, the, your agency and, like, actively preferring Doom, I do think that if that was, like, the first of your indie films, there's probably, like, a certain imprint that it yeah, left on you. Totally. Yeah, totally. So, so that makes total sense to me. And I just like, I, the reason why I asked that question first is because like, I didn't, I didn't want to go down this path of like, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to shame any of the movies. They each have their own character, um, and, and tone to it. I think the three different films, although, you know, we had this conversation actually, um, with one of our other guests where we were talking about what constitutes a real trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was our guest for Back to the Future, and now there's no disputing that the three Back to the Future films are a true trilogy where you're continuing a story, right. the same story between all three films. Whereas with Indy, they're all self-contained for the most I, part. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. Which which so, is interesting. I'm sorry. Sorry to nope. Please go I ahead. Say, which is interesting because from what I've read, that George Lucas wanted it he had a trilogy in mind so um when he came up with the idea so i yeah i'm curious to why they're standalone and not like a continuing story i think it would have been more you know interesting to see like him on a continuous journey through the three films yeah that is really interesting that doesn't uh that doesn't surprise me at all that i that lucas would want to maybe do (laughs) a kind of trilogy that continues the story given star wars yeah um, I wanted to get back to one of Derek's earlier points when he was talking about kind of the evolution of these characters, because it is really interesting that the first film and the third film bring back characters um, from from the original. And as a writer, I was curious what your thoughts were on the fact that, you know, I, I think it is... I I don't know if there's really any debating. I think Derek is totally right that the characters of Brody and Sala become much more comical. Yeah. And, and I don't know, for lack of a better word, like kind of dumbed down. So, so where do you stand on that? Do you feel like that's kind of like the writer's prerogative to, to do that? Or do you feel like there should be a sense of um, maintaining who that character was from a prior film? Hmm. I think, I, I am totally for maintaining um, mm-hmm. the character because I, although we're not talking about these films, but I just, I like one of my favorite franchises is the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so you, you get, you know, you know what you're going to get with, right. with each character per movie and things don't seem necessarily out of character. Um for those, for Sam is Sam is Sam the whole way yep, through. All yep, the way through. Sam, Sam the whole way through. There, there's development. I mean, the yeah. characters grow over the course of their journey, but they don't turn into completely different characters. Right. Uh, 
totally. Um, I, I agree with you. I do like how Indiana Jones character what is like he, how you, he has that flaw, like he's afraid of snakes. And that's apparent, <laughs> you know, that's kind of like the um, obstacle or that's thrown at him. Although he magically always defeats the snakes to get what he wants, but still like that. <laughs> I, I do like that a lot. That's one of my favorite things about this series of films. And again, like, you know, not to take too much attention away from Raiders itself, but I love when films do throwbacks. Yeah. And, and that is, I think one of the more fun things I, you know, I don't know if they do it as much in Temple of Doom, but certainly in Last Crusade, you know, like when he is um, going through uh, and the name is escaping me of like where the Christians used to bury, bury their dead. Mm-hmm. Um, in Venice? Yeah. Yeah. There's a uh, catacombs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when Indy and Elsa are going through the catacombs and they see this drawing of the Ark on the wall and so there's like a throwback to raiders then and to your point about him being afraid of snakes the fact that like his thing is that he's afraid of snakes and at the beginning of last crusade you find out why um in the the intro with river phoenix and in in contrast like his dad's thing is that he's afraid of rats yeah and so like i like that they yeah so i do think that's a really smart thing that they do i'm wondering if to your point um when we were talking about Lord of the Rings and, and for instance, Sam is just one character. If perhaps, you know, the fact that Lord of the Rings is really similar to Star Wars in that those three films are a continuation of one story Mm -hmm. versus these three self-contained, the fact that you can maybe get away with uh, playing around with characters. Because it's not a straight continuation. Exactly. Because I think it'd be so jarring. Yeah. If... Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think the 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 positive to doing that is that you can you can build an audience from any film. Unlike Star right. Wars, you literally have to watch Star Wars um to to be able to know what's going on in the universe. Exactly. Yep, I totally agree with you. And that's actually one thing that I really appreciate. I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head if well, I guess you have the James Bond films mm-hmm. where each of those, I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not a James Bond aficionado. Um, so I can't claim to have like a wealth of knowledge about them, but they seem to be self-contained pretty much, right? Mm. There, there are like threads that weave themselves through the whole series. So there mm. are like some points of continuity, I think. And even with the Daniel Craig ones, they've kind of like, I think turned parts of it into like prequels to what we normally would consider the traditional bond setup with mm. like M and Q. So they kind of like did a re a refresh of the whole series with that character, I think, but they, you, you can watch a James Bond movie and not necessarily have to have seen the earlier right. ones to really be able to follow it and go along like you would with a star Wars. And maybe that's, that's what, they what were I doing thought. With, yeah. 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 I mean, and that is one thing that, you know, I think is a big pro of these films is that you, you can watch them separately and sure you will get like, maybe you won't get the throwback in last crusade about the arc. If you haven't watched Raiders, but, but you can still come away and feel like you, for the most part, got the entirety of the story being told in that particular film. Yeah. If you saw Jedi mm-hmm. before seeing a new hope, you'd, you'd wonder what's happening. You'd be like, but what? if you see yeah. 
Last Crusade without seeing Raiders, you'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So one big question that I've been meaning to ask you is, okay, between the series on its own, even Raiders as its mm-hmm. its own self-contained film, and and then talking about being like a Spielberg fan, how do you feel about the way that the music in this film impacts its its resonance with audiences and the fact that like, you know, this, this long standing relationship between Spielberg and Lucas for that matter with John Williams um, has created these really iconic scores. I mean, do you feel like we, we threw this out to our other guest when we were talking about ET, do you feel like John Williams elevated the material in indie to a place where it has secured this this lasting resonance with American culture? Or do you think that the material as it was presented by Spielberg inspired Williams to create some of his best scores from it? Hmm. That's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) So or it could be a little bit of whatever you feel. I don't know if this answers your question, but this is the first thing that came to mind is that mm-hmm. I don't think it would be as iconic without both of them. Like, I feel like the yeah. movie could not have been as iconic without John Williams score and vice versa. So I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of like, to me, this isn't just a great adventure film. This is just a great film. I agree. Yeah. And so in terms of, you know, you, you already being a fan of the certain genre, do you think that kind of there are biases that still exist in terms of how we look at films like this and that we look at it more for lack of a better term as like popcorn movies? Or do you think that we've grown since, you know, 1981 and, and the way that people view these movies in terms of them being true works of art and not just something to be consumed by the masses? Hmm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would consider it a popcorn movie, but mm-hmm. I, I not like, I feel like movies now are way are bad. Not all of them, but yeah. you know, the action films are hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like after the Harry Potters ended and the Lord of the Rings ended mm-hmm. and the, um, um, the hobbits, like mm-hmm. I, I, Outside of the Star Wars, I don't really have anything to look forward to. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'll, I'll watch this movie and hope and hope that um, you know, it does something. Like I haven't been wild in a long time. Um, so and yeah, it, are you not same. a big uh, Marvel fan then? I was, I was just. You know what? I do like Marvel. I do. I, I like the last um, Avengers too. The, um, what is it? The the, what is what was the name oh, of was the, it Endgame? Infinity that- War, the Infinity War Endgame, I think yeah. was the last mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I really I do like that one. For some reason it doesn't excite me like the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it, it it's good, but those I'm not rushing on opening weekend to see. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can, you know, and I and I like the Spider Man's and mm-hmm. Captain America is okay for me. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm older. 
<laughs> and I tend to like like the older stuff. But I do think it holds uh, um, particularly Raiders of the Lost Ark. The other ones are definitely popcorn movie. Mm-hmm. But if I wanted to, as a screenwriter, right? if I wanted to, to use that to kind of like study, for instance, I love how it opens. Like it, it yeah. kind of lets you oh, know yeah. who the character know. It, I'm sorry. It kind of let, lets you know who the character is right away, which is kind of hard to do. You know, I, I know mm-hmm. you write as well, Anna. And, and it's like, how do I show the world who this character is? And I feel like um, the opening shows us who Indiana Jones is. There's no doubt. We, we learn like, you know, what is his strengths? We learn about his weaknesses. We learn like what he's, he's up against um, right in the very beginning. And I'm hooked within the first few minutes of the film. And it's really hard to do that. Um, yeah. so, so I think that film is a great example of that. And also raising the stakes and obstacles. Like you get that throughout the movie. Like one thing happens and another, you know, this happens and then something else happens that makes it worse. And you're thinking, oh crap, how's he going to get out of this? It seems impossible. <laughs> it's <laughs> you know? tough because um, they literally raise the stakes to biblical levels. <laughs> And it's rare that at the end of a movie, like the real evil, legitimately evil bad guys mm-hmm. are like melted down to liquid by the power of God. Mm-hmm. Like that, right. that is a great comeuppance. Right. I mean, so yeah, I think it, it's definitely a popcorn movie, but I feel like there is like such a strength in how the characters are are developed and like fleshed out in that movie. And I think if there's a difference between like how I would feel about that era of a, of a adventure movie versus modern movies, I don't know if this is correct or not, but I, I get the sense that it's, it's a little bit easier to say that we'll be able to do anything we want on the screen because of the, the changes in visual effects mm-hmm. Whereas before those limiting factors almost like forced a certain level of creativity Mm -hmm, and how mm -hmm. we want to present all of this stuff in a way. And, and for films that have done that really successfully, like Raiders, I think that's part of why it still holds up so well. Absolutely. And I mean, I think Kamisha can attest to this, you know, as a writer or a filmmaker, you're often told that constraints can make you better. Mm -hmm. And and in some cases now there aren't any, like the, the fast movies are, are like, popcorn movies where on the latest trailer someone is literally like swinging around an island with their like car connected to a cable or something and i'm like that's crazy but i know people are gonna love it right but it's just it's just there are no limits there there are no limits and literally kamishia when you were speaking a minute ago i was just nodding my head the entirety (laughs) of the time that you were talking as derek yeah as derek can attest because i think you are so right about everything that you said and and also i agree with derek's point that you know between what both of you said you know you mentioned um lord of the rings and kind of after that era of films coming out yeah, I haven't really seen anything that gets me really excited. Right. And I maybe it's a combination of factors. Maybe you're right. It has something to do with getting older and maybe not having that kind of um, excitement and, I don't know, curiosity about these films. But I think also some Derek's point, I think, is completely right about, you know, I mean, look. This is a conversation for another podcast episode, but we can we can definitely go down a rabbit hole in talking about the Star Wars prequels. Oh, and oh I didn't watch. I don't know if I watched. Did I watch those? I don't know. I did not. 
I mean, it's, it's okay. O- it's okay. Yeah, I watched. <laughs> yeah, the, totally can. The original um, three, and then the last, the last series, um, right? Because I think they go together. So right. yeah, and yes, I mean, you are definitely not alone in terms of not having seen the prequels or even being compelled to watch the prequels because it's the same scenario where at this point and like look it's it was his prerogative to do whatever he wanted you know but lucas at that point had no constraints and i think that really took away from the the outcome even the digital effects were right. weren't ready like they they kind of approached it from the perspective of we can do anything with these yeah and the reality was no you you really couldn't yet and you know, if you look at the, what the Marvel movies have done versus like the prequels, is, is, as far as effects go, uh, like the Marvel movies, there's a scene where a giant purple alien bad guy literally throws a moon or an asteroid into mm-hmm. someone and it kind of looks real, mm-hmm. you know, versus the the prequels where there was just so much of it and it, it was close, but it just wasn't ready. And then. You know, I can I can look at a bunch of guys melting into wax, and I think that looks realer than a lot of stuff I've <laughs> mm-hmm, seen mm-hmm. when the digital stuff was really ramping up, but wasn't quite there yet. There's just something visceral about those films from the '80s with the practical effects. That... Something melted. It wasn't a yeah, person, but yeah. something. No, something yeah. melted, yeah. and and I think that that brings a level of realism, even though it maybe wasn't executed to the point where you're like, oh. That's completely how that would look if somebody's face melted off. But I I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to know. But um, but I think that there's something that an audience can connect to more intimately because it just feels more real. Yeah. And I think also to your point, Kamishio, when you were talking about the Marvel movies, I mean, look, I'm in the same boat. You know, we've seen most of them, but I'm not going to say out of it was a chore or an obligation to go see them, but why are you laughing? Derek's laughing. At I'm me. laughing because it, it it didn't start off that way, but as they started releasing yeah, so many of yeah. them, I think I, we, yeah, I agree. It was I literally had to sit down. I I forgot the first Avengers movies. I first Avenger movie I haven't seen. I didn't see um all the Captain Americas. Or mm-hmm. and so my boyfriend made me sit down. He was like, "You cannot go in here without <laughs> seeing this." <laughs> he was Don't like, embarrass me. Yeah, I won't let you do it. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, so I I went back and watched all of them, and I was like, okay, but it wasn't I, in the beginning. It did feel like a chore, um, right? And and then I kind of got caught. You of course, as movie lovers, like you you watch, you try to watch everything. Right. You know, especially what's in. And so, yeah. but I, I can say they were, they're enjoyable, but it still doesn't right. give me the same, you know, it's not the same as, you know, the other stuff that I totally agree. Yeah. And, and I mean, there are some standouts within those almost 20 movies, you know, like I would say that um, Captain America Civil War is a standout among them. Yeah. Obviously, Black Panther is a standout, which I think between Black Panther and uh, Endgame, I think they're the only two that were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And Black Panther was like, for me, it was groundbreaking. I loved it. Right. Um, but it made me real. I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but I felt like I was conditioned to see su- superheroes a certain way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And after seeing Black Panther, I realized, man, some of my favorite movies lack diversity. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, Lord of the Rings, I don't even, I don't know why it didn't cross my <laughs> mind. Did they even have a person of color in that movie? No. Apparently Not that the whole world, leaps. they're all yeah. white. Yeah. Unless and, you're what, one of those ogres? Which, yeah, that's... They're not even human. That's not yeah. cool. That's not cool. <laughs> right, right. So that, it kind of like, it kind of made me feel sad because I was like, wow, I can't believe that I love this series so much. And... How do you, I mean, I, I, I like Black Panther, but actually one of the things that I liked most about Black Panther was Michael B. Jordan as the villain. Yeah. I thought, I thought he was like one of the, one of the more compelling villains that they've had in a lot of the Marvel movies. Um, but I also felt kind of bad because I feel like Wesley Snipes is getting no love as being Blade. Oh, right? Wow. <laughs> but you know, I'm looking forward to Mahershala being the new Blade. I, I think, <gasps> yeah, yeah cool. I think he's, I think he's phenomenal. Um, and he's I love phenomenal. Wesley Snipes as well. Um, I don't know what happened to Wesley. I'm glad he had, and this is not related to the, but I, I love that he made a really good comeback in Dolomite. I don't know if you had the opportunity to see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he um, also, if, I don't know if you're, and now we're really going down we a rabbit hole. We are as far from Raiders yeah. as we could possibly <laughs> but, but it's, it's important. It's important. It needs to be said. So I don't know if, are you a fan of the show, What We Do in the Shadows? You know what? I've seen the movie. I have not started the show, but I've heard really great things about it. It is it is fantastic. And Wesley Snipes has a cameo. Yeah. And I don't want to really reveal okay. anything else. But if you, you know, kind of put two and two together, the fact that we just mentioned the movie Blade. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So and it's in the first season. So uh, so you wouldn't it wouldn't take too long for you to get to that point. OK. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking um, for stuff to binge watch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Aren't we all? Um, but and and you know what? I'm sorry, because I think earlier we had stopped you from talking about um, when you were mentioning the Lord of the Rings series and the fact that there was like this lack of diversity and the fact that like it hadn't necessarily occurred to you right. earlier. Um, please, Yeah, please go ahead with that. I just feel like growing up, like we've been conditioned to see these movies. Be, I think I've been conditioned to, to see these movies without or being okay, not necessarily okay, but I guess tolerant of movies not having diversity mm -hmm. and, and liking them anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think for, for me, and of course I've, I started to realize this as I've gotten older and have really been paying attention about um, what's going on in terms of people of color and entertainment, but Black Panther really resonated with me in terms of like, wow, you know, it's great to see people of color um, in action adventure movies because those movies hold a special place in my heart. And it's really great to see people who look like me in those. And I'm, I can't imagine what it does to young kids growing up. Yeah. Beautifully stated. And Definitely agree. And so even though, you know, maybe between the three of us, there is not the degree of like, personal like resonance and love as maybe with something like Raiders, I do think that, you know, those things aside, there is progress being made. Yeah, I, and, do, I totally agree. Yeah. And yeah. Star Wars was diverse, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. with um, Billy D. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it, yep. Um, yeah. So I thought, the, and Dark Vader with um, James Earl Jones um, yep. being the voice of Dark Vader. So, yep. so there have been yeah. instances, but it needs to be more consistent. It needs to be something that is is 
always part of the conversation and not something that's an outlier. Right. Totally. So, yeah. It needs to be part of the conversation until you can watch a movie like Black Panther and not think about it. Yeah. To where you're just, you know, the way that we would watch something like Raiders and not think about the diversity or, or lack thereof will hopefully eventually get to a point where you would see a movie like Black Panther and and just be able to enjoy the movie without having to think about right yeah you know, be a, yeah be able to enjoy it as a movie and yes. not but it did strike me at a deeper level though it was an emotional yeah. level that I didn't it was something I didn't know I needed until I saw it exactly yeah oh that's great i mean that i can't imagine a better um a better way to like this is a, you know, kind of a dramatic word, but like give tribute to a film like that. Mm-hmm. So I hope that when we move forward, when the world <laughs> <laughs> resumes and we're able to move forward, that, um, that, that, like I said, and like, like we've all been saying that that there becomes... will be a Black Panther too, right? Yeah. I've, I've heard, so. I've been hearing yeah. mixed things about who's going to direct and star mm-hmm. in it, but you know, hopefully they bring back some of the same people. And I'm super excited about, I didn't realize that Mahershal Ali had signed up to be the next Blade. Yes. So that's mm-hmm. amazing. That, that is going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. So on that note, this has been so much fun. Yes, it has. We, <laughs> we, I'm glad that you had fun too, because this has been just like a really great time for us to talk to you and, and your love of this film and the way that it has been part of your childhood and then life moving on into adulthood it has just been awesome to listen to how how this film and this series has impacted you so Kamisha, thank you so much for being our guest today we really appreciate your time and i wanted to just you know i know that you know things are a little sideways now with the world but i wanted to see if you have any projects that you're working on or just you know see what's been going on in your life lately Yes, um, I have a short film on the festival circuit called Destiny's Road. It is currently in the Inspired Faith Faith Film Festival, which is happening this weekend. And also um, is coming, another film festival is playing in, is the Compassion Film Festival. It, I love that. Yeah, it will be on, um, it will be playing there virtually from August 7th through August 9th. You can purchase tickets um, through by going to their website or you can visit my website and click oh. on my blog and I have um, screening schedule posted there where you can also purchase tickets. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's and awesome. I know that this short has been doing really well through the festival circuit. So congratulations on, on both these upcoming screenings, but everything that has happened previous because I, you know, you and I are friends. And so yes. I see you post and I'm like, so thrilled for you. It's, it's been, it's had a really strong showing. So congratulations. Thank you. And same for you too. Oh, thank you. We're, we're getting there. We, uh, we actually are having our cast and crew sc- screening this weekend and then, you know, we'll see what goes from there. So I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. I know. I know. Thank you for your support with that. And also I saw some news come through this week about something very awesome and cool yes. and exciting for you from Women in Film. So please let us know what that's all about. Yes, I've been selected for the w- mentoring program for Women in Film um, as a multi-hyphenate person, as a writer, director, producer. Um, 
And so I'll be a mentee in a mentor circle and we'll get some career guidance through this year and next year. Which is huge. That's honestly a tremendous honor. Uh, I know that the individuals that they select for those types of programs, it's not taken lightly and you deserve every bit of that. So congratulations on that. I'm so excited to see what that does for you over the next year. So lots of awesome stuff happening for you, which is fantastic because like, again, given the state of things right now, it's it's just really great to hear good news about good people who deserve that. So congratulations on all fronts. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. And thank you again for being part of the show. And definitely the the invite is always there if you want to come back. So we would love to have you on again. <laughs> yeah, this oh, I would has love- been great. Yes. And I would always be uh, welcome to a bonus episode of ET. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's All been right. so much fun. Thank you both. And so that was our conversation with writer, director, producer, Kamisha Wotan. Oh, a lot of hyphens. Which she's fantastic it's at amazing. all three. Yeah. yeah. And so as always, a really great conversation. And for all of you out there, if you have the means, definitely check out her short. Mm-hmm. It's called Destiny's Road. And it's been doing awesome through the festival circuit. Okay. So, yeah. I what mean, do how do you feel about like watching this movie again? I mean, I feel so strongly about it. I feel that maybe we should just watch it every Saturday in some capacity. Maybe it's just on background so just basically status quo because that's what we do already (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly yeah Yeah. it's a good movie um i don't want to say it's a good movie to go to sleep to but there's something about it that's so comforting that if we have it on yeah yeah it's definitely one of those ones that is so familiar to us at this point that it it has that effect so agreed yep we're gonna be watching this many many times over yep the bigger question is whether I will watch uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull again. At some point. Yeah. I mean, you said you, you said you would. I will. It'll okay. happen. Okay. So call to action. I was thinking about this. I think it would be kind of fun. You know, Kamisha mentioned that this film for a time inspired her. She thought she was going to be an archaeologist someday. A lot of people thought they were going to be because yeah. after this movie... Uh, interest in the field of archaeology increased so significantly that additional courses and oh that's really cool yeah and people were enrolling because they were just like fascinated yeah by the subject I think that a lot of people have an attraction to that and like you know just ancient history and and finding perhaps these baubles that have some kind of historical significance so I wanted to maybe just put it out there that if you were ever going to go on an adventure of this, what would you want to go after? And it could, I mean, it could be really broad and big. Like, you know, some people would want to find the lost city of Atlantis. And some people think that there's, you know, Noah's Ark hanging out somewhere still, you know. So what would be the thing that you would want to try to find? That's a good one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't Appreciate know what, that. I, what I what would I try to. Find? I'd have to have know. a think on that one. Yeah, but if you want to let us know, you can get in contact with us through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's the same handle for all three. It's at eighties montage pod, and we would absolutely love to hear from you. My call to action. Sure. I just made it up right now. Okay. If, if the role of Indiana Jones had been played by um, Magnum PI as opposed to Harrison Ford, would you want to see Indy with or without the mustache? It's a good one. Yeah. Thank you. It's a good one. (laughs) 
Good job. So moving on. So, okay. So we have actually a couple things to bring up. Okay. A couple last pieces of business. So in two weeks time, as we normally do, we're going to have our new episode, Mm -hmm. Derek's Pick. What is it? (laughs) I'm going to tell you. I'm I'm not going to tell you. Okay. It is Tim Burton's. 1989 Batman. Yeah. So great film. So we will have that in two weeks time as we normally do, but we're also going to have a bonus episode. This is very exciting. It's very exciting. I mean, I'm not even joking. It really is. It it really (laughs) is exciting. So we will have that in between our two normal episodes because we usually do every other week and so i'm gonna kind of actually just leave it at that yeah Uh, i want to i want to keep our viewers invested and listening so so bonus i'm not gonna divulge too much i'm just gonna say that when we say bonus episode we are we're offering bonus coverage in some way on a film that we have already covered Yes. And we have a good reason to do so. We have a very good reason to do so. So that's all we'll say. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for hanging with us, and we will see you next time. 